turn to Luke chapter 7. As we continue with our studies in Luke, we're going to consider John's question to Jesus. John's question to Jesus, Luke chapter 7 verse 19 through to verse 28. Our passage for consideration this morning is about John the Baptist sending two of his disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ with the question, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? At the time, Jesus was asked that question. He healed many afflicted people, and he told the two disciples to go back to John and to tell John what they'd seen, what they'd heard with regards to his miraculous works and with regards to his preaching of the gospel. In Matthew's account of what happened, it can be seen in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2 that at the time John the Baptist was in prison, having incurred the displeasure of King Herod, whose sin he called out. Matthew chapter 14 gives details of why John was imprisoned, his uh, subsequent execution and his burial. We can look at that if you want to keep your finger in Luke chapter 7 and we'll see the circumstances concerning John being imprisoned. Matthew chapter 14. Taking it from verse 3. For Herod had laid hold on John, that's John the Baptist, and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother's Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. Give me his head on a plate. And the king was sorry, nevertheless for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat or food, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. So, John the Baptist, as I say, he he called out King Herod's sin, put in prison, and eventually he was beheaded. But whilst he was in prison, he sent two of, of his disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ with that question, Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? We see that in Luke chapter 7 and verse 20. So coming back to our passage with John the Baptist, coming back to Luke 7, 
John the Baptist, who was languishing in prison, sending two of his disciples to Jesus with that question, various explanations have been given. For example, Luther, Calvin and various other men of God have explained that the question was asked for the sake of John's disciples who needed strengthening or correcting in their beliefs. Then there are those who say that John's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was in some way failing. Also, it has been suggested that John had simply become impatient. Again, he was languishing in prison. The preparation of this sermon would, I suspect, have been a lot more straightforward had we been explicitly informed that when word reached John about the miraculous works that Jesus was doing, that he sent two of his disciples to John uh, to Jesus for their sakes. If we were told that John sent the, his disciples to Jesus for their sakes, but we're not told that. Hence the differing opinions. It's not for nothing that there are different opinions on this passage. Also in verse 22, Jesus said to John's disciples, go your own way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard. The answer to their question was to be conveyed to John. That's not to say that John's disciples didn't need strengthening or that they didn't need correcting. If, as it seems to have been the case, it was John who needed some kind of reassurance, then no doubt so too did his disciples need it. What is clear is that the question that was brought to Jesus, art thou he that should come or look we for another, came from John the Baptist. And the answer that Jesus gave was taken back to John. So did John need some kind of reassurance? Perhaps he did become a little bit impatient. First of all, we can look at the question, art thou he that should come or look we for another? He that should come refers to the Christ or the Messiah whom God had promised to send and that can be seen in various Old Testament prophecies, the promise of God to send uh, to send his, uh, the Messiah into the world. For example, in the Old Testament in Psalm 118 and verse 26, well, we sung that psalm just a few minutes ago, it is written, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Those words were fulfilled when many years later the Lord Jesus Christ was making his way into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey towards the end of his earthly ministry and just days before he was crucified and the crowd cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Those words were from Psalm 118. We see the fulfilment of prophecy there. And in Psalm 40, verse 7 and 8, King David speaking prophetically about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world said, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law 
is within my heart. A thousand years later, those words were fulfilled when the Son of God came into the world and he delighted to do his Father's will. Indeed, doing his Father's will was his food. When Jesus was born of a woman, he subjected himself to the law and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, which means, again, that Jesus always did the will of his Father in heaven. Indeed, he delighted to do his Father's will in life and in death, where he, in death when he bare in his own body the sins of all who would ever trust in him. Secondly, the answer that John's disciples received from Jesus. The answer that John's disciples were to take back to John was that Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies concerning the miraculous works that, that the promised Christ would do, thereby showing himself to be the Christ. You can see that in verse 22. Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. You've seen all these things, go back and tell John all the things that you've seen and heard. But they were all, they all showed Jesus to be the promised Christ. One such prophecy is Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 and 6 where it is written, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart and, or deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. And that particular prophecy closely corresponds with what John's disciples and not just them, but many other people saw and heard Jesus doing. In fact, the list of miraculous works that the disciples of John witnessed in verse 21 and what Jesus declared himself to be doing in verse 22 goes way beyond what we see written in Isaiah chapter 35 verses 5 and 6 because according to verses 21 and 22 in our passage Jesus cured people of their infirmities and plagues and he cast out evil spirits he gave sight to the blind and when I think about Jesus giving sight to the blind I'm always reminded of the not the passage in John chapter 9 it's the whole chapter the whole of John chapter 9 On one of those occasions when Jesus gave sight to the blind, a man, as we read in in John chapter 9, was born blind and at first he referred to the Lord as a man that is called Jesus. A man that is called Jesus. That happened when he was being questioned by the Jews after Jesus gave him his sight. A few verses later, he referred to Jesus as a prophet, which has got to be an improvement on calling, simply calling Jesus that man or a man. He now calls Jesus a prophet. 
However, by the end of the passage, the once blind man was acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God. And that is the whole point of the Lord Jesus Christ performing those miraculous works. He did so in fulfilment of prophecy. It was to show that Jesus is the one who should come, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. We also see in the list that the lame walked. We've seen an example of that in chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, with the man who was lowered through the roof of a house into the presence of Jesus. He wasn't just lame, he was paralysed and he was lowered through the roof on a mat or a bed. Anyway, before Jesus healed that man of his physical affliction, he did that which was which was much more needful. He forgave him his sins. He said to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Can you understand, by the way, before we move on, how it is far more needful to be forgiven your sins than to be healed of any physical affliction that you might have. doesn't matter how bad it is either. It can be the most horrible affliction imaginable, the most terrible disease. It's infinitely more important that you receive forgiveness of all your sins. Also we see that lepers were cleansed, the deaf were given their hearing, the dead were raised. That was seen in the previous passage with the Lord Jesus Christ being moved with compassion towards a widow whose son was dead and being carried in an open open coffin. The Lord touched the coffin and he said to the young man, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And that points to a spiritual reality of people who are dead in trespasses and sins being raised up to everlasting life in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in him as their saviour from sin and as their Lord. But again, Jesus did these things to show himself to be the Christ, the promised Messiah. Last but not least, most certainly not least, the gospel was preached and that too was done in accordance with Old Testament prophecies. For example, back in chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he have anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He have sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the the acceptable year of the Lord. When Jesus was saying those words, he was quoting the prophecy of Isaiah. Jesus preached the gospel to the poor, that is to people who were spiritually bankrupt and who had nothing whatsoever to commend themselves to a holy and righteous God. And by the grace of God, all you Christians in here, are you know what I'm talking about. Your people who have heard the gospel of Christ, 
proclaimed not directly by Christ, but you've heard the gospel being proclaimed by his ministers or perhaps by Sunday school teachers. Maybe your mother, your father told you about Jesus and what he did when he was in the world, laying down his life as an atonement for sin. Or maybe you've received a, a, a Bible tract, a leaflet, telling you about those things. But the thing is, you repented of your sins and you received Jesus as your saviour, having believed the gospel of Christ. Now, far from being poor, you have treasures in heaven. And what is the greatest treasure of all that you have in, in heaven? It has to be the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is altogether lovely. The lovely saviour. So thirdly, we'll consider John's disciples. They departed. Look at verse 24. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the dark, uh, into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? The Lord Jesus Christ spoke very highly of John the Baptist when the messengers of John were departed. To state the obvious, John's disciples, who by this time had gone on their way to deliver a mild rebuke or perhaps a little bit of encouragement to their master from Jesus, they won't have heard that glowing testimony given, being given by Jesus about John the Baptist. Those words of Jesus were, were for the ears of the other people who were there, people who'd been baptised by John and people who had perhaps been in earshot of the question that was asked by John's disciples on his behalf. They'd heard those disciples asking Jesus, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? The words that Jesus spoke to the other people may have served to counter any negative thoughts creeping into their minds about John the Baptist, the one who had baptised them, uh, preached the, the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness or remission of sins and baptised them. In verse 24 and 25, Jesus said to those people, look again there, what went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. A reed shaken with the wind is a preacher who is weak and he is tossed to and fro as he yields to popular opinion. He has no solid convictions of his own that are in line with the word of God. There are plenty of them around today, aren't there? Weak, woolly preachers. The Apostle Paul warned about such people when he said to Timothy, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. This is the hearers, they've got itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. A lot of people like that, it has to be said. Listening to preachers who deliver motivational speeches tickle their ears and make them feel all nice and fuzzy about themselves. But what you won't hear those preachers preaching is sin um, and, and, and repentance, forgiveness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who was wounded and bruised for the transgressions of all who would trust in him. As for a man clothed in soft raiment or soft garments, that was a fitting description of the self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, amongst others. The, the, The scribes and Pharisees, they did all their works to be seen of men. They made broad their phylacteries and they enlarged the borders of their garments, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 5. Long flowing robes to be seen by people. What the people whom Jesus addressed were to remember about John the Baptist is that when they went into the wilderness where John preached the baptism of repentance, for the remission of sins, what they saw was none of those things. Far from being tossed to and fro like a reed shaken in the wind, John said to the multitude that came forth to be baptised of him, O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's certainly not an ear tickler. As for the fancy and showy garments, forget it. John was clothed with camel's hair. In verses 26 and 27, Jesus was saying that what they saw in the wilderness was a prophet of God. Look again. But what went ye out for to see a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, a much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. John's prophetic ministry was unique in that it was foretold in the Old Testament by Old Testament prophets. Old Testament prophets prophesied about John, the prophet. For example, in Isaiah 40, verse 3, The prophet Isaiah said, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness is John the Baptist, who came into the world over 700 years later. And it speaks of John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is seen, by the way, in Isaiah 40 and verse 3, as being the Lord with capital letters. In other words, 
Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3 brings to us Jesus as Yahweh or Jehovah. It's one of those verses that tells us very clearly that the one whom John the Baptist would prepare the way for is God, manifest in the flesh. And in verse 28, what did Jesus say there? I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. We have to be very careful here not to exclude John the Baptist from being in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God. I say that because everyone throughout history with a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether they were believing in the Messiah who was to come into the world or whether like you in here, you believe in in the Christ who came into the world about 2,000 years ago, everyone who has ever believed in Jesus is in the kingdom of God, is a citizen of heaven, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a holy nation. And that includes you, dear Christian, and it most certainly includes John the Baptist, who was the greatest of the prophets of God. Even so, John died before the sacrificial death of Jesus. He died before the triumphal resurrection of Jesus and before his ascension, his glorification. In that sense, all who were still alive or who were born after Jesus returned to heavenly glory, after finishing his great work of redemption and who have trusted in him as their God and their saviour, they are in a sense greater than John the Baptist, even the least of them. And that includes you here today, who are in the kingdom of God, having trusted in Jesus as your saviour. Although, like John, you weren't around when Jesus was crucified. John had already been beheaded, executed, and you weren't around either when Jesus um, was crucified, when he rose again and when he returned to heavenly glory. But nevertheless, you have something that John did not have. You have a full and comprehensive understanding of God's redemptive redemptive plan and the accomplishments of the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. And that is because you have a completed Bible. John didn't have a completed Bible. You do. A Bible that takes you to the cross and beyond. In the word of God that you have on your lap, or maybe on your laptop, uh, or your your tablet, or whatever, or maybe in your Bible, gathering dust on your bookshelf at home. What you have in there is a clear, concise, carefully preserved record of men who spoke infallibly as they were led by the Holy Spirit. And they speak about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. They speak about his resurrection. They speak about his ascension. And they speak about his coming again. Jesus coming again in judgment. 
when he shall judge the nations and when he shall usher in the new heaven and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. In our Bibles that we have from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation, we have a broad and comprehensive revelation of God's redemptive plan that even John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, did not have. I've got some applications here. It may seem unthinkable and out of the question that a man of God of the calibre of John the Baptist should ever need some kind of reassurance when it comes to Jesus being the promised Christ. After all, even when John was in his mother's womb, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Also, John leapt in his mother's womb when Mary, who was pregnant with Jesus, visited. Then, about 30 years later, John heralded the Lord Jesus Christ who came into the world to save sinners with the words, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John baptised Jesus. And when Jesus was baptised, there was that voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John would have heard that voice from heaven. God declaring Jesus to be his beloved son. For all that, as has already been said, John died before Jesus sacrificially laid down his life and rose from the grave, having paid the price for sin. All he was able to see since calling out Herod's sin were the four walls of his prison cell and imminent death. You know, I don't know, I'm, I'm not going to go into it now, but I've, I've certainly got a testimony of um, a crisis of faith that I, went, that I went through when I was in the London City Mission some years ago. I don't suppose I'm the only one who's been in a dark place having been a Christian, having been a missionary in London and still going through a very dark time. Back in chapter 3, when people were thinking that John was the Christ, John the Baptist was the Christ, John answered them saying, I indeed baptise you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will truly or thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John was preaching judgment there. Perhaps it was a case of John thinking, I'm hearing John in his prison cell thinking, I'm hearing a lot about Jesus doing all sorts of miraculous works, but I'm not hearing anything about him purging his floor and getting rid of unrepentant sinners. As the English theologian Alfred Plummer said, perhaps John was also perplexed by the fact that one who could work such miracles did not set his forerunner free 
nor cleanse his threshing floor of such refuse as Antipas and Herodias. No doubt the discussion and the differences of interpretation of this passage will continue about why the John, why John the Baptist sent two of his disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ asking him, art thou he that should come or look we for another? What I want to leave you with is the fact that Jesus did perform all sorts of miraculous works. He did preach the gospel showing himself to be the Christ and you cannot ignore that. The Apostle John recorded some but not all of those miraculous works and words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he preached the gospel and this is what John said towards the end of his own gospel book chapter 20 of John's gospel verses 30 and 31 John said and many other signs or miraculous works truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Therefore, do not reject the inspired record in the Bible. Show repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will be saved. Amen.